sweet world, and welcome to another No Dunks podcast on the Athletic Network. I'm J.E. Skeets here with the bearded one, Trey Kirby, and the man making the magic happen, J.D., and today we are joined by a very special guest. He is one of the OG NBA writers whose work has appeared at Yahoo, ESPN, Sports Illustrated. He now heads up the ridiculously informative and entertaining NBA newsletter, The Second Arrangement. This man basically invented internet basketball writing. He's our good friend. He's a former colleague. It's Kelly Dwyer. Katie, how's it going, man? It's going great, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Really, really excited to talk to you. This was sort of a last-minute idea that sparked in my brain because we had the whole Last Dance airing over the last couple of Sundays, and that ended, and that was fun, and everybody had a blast talking about it and writing about it like you did great work at tsa.substack.com. But then we find out, hey, ESPN isn't done. We're going to milk this bad boy. Last night, ESPN aired... Game 6, the movie, which um, their slick PR department described as a cinematic production of the 98 NBA Finals Game 6 between the Bulls and the Jazz. And the telecast featured exclusive, you know, never-before-seen game footage captured by five different NBA entertainment cameras. Now, I don't know about you guys, I was a little skeptical heading into this. I just thought, okay, it's going to be the game that we saw on NBC, and they'll splice in the odd cool close-up of Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen or Phil Jackson. And it wasn't that at all. I mean, this whole thing was in high definition. It was from one of these five cameras. We had the original commentary. I thought it was fantastic. What did you think, Katie? Were you also sort of shocked with the production of this thing? Yeah, I I thought the production was going to be like that, but I also also thought I was going to find it super boring and kind of a drag to watch yeah. a really old '90s basketball game with a lot of people. It was great. I thought it was going to be like that because I know NBA Entertainment has cameras even back then. They had stuff everywhere, so I assumed it was going to be pretty solid and put together. And outside of missing the initial shot of Rodman and Malone wrestling, no, it was perfect. It was great. I had the, the time of my life speaking to someone who's seen that game. 42,000 times. Do you think that this is your most watched Bulls game? Because for me, it's between Game 6, 98 and Game 4, 93. Those are like the two pinnacles of watching a Bulls game for me. And I don't know. I was expecting the same thing. Like, I've watched this so many times. There's no way it's going to be that exciting. And I'm also such a sucker because I had chills on my body before the opening tip even happened. I felt like such a simp for Michael Jordan and the Bulls. I was like, something new that that I've seen before, but from a slightly different angle, I'm 100% in. I thought it was beautiful. And I, I mean, I, it, it was kind of silly to be so intense for two hours. Every bead of sweat dripping, every eyebrow arched, every bit of crooked finger pointing in Ron Harper's direction. But no, it was it was fun as heck. I, I can't believe I'm not burned out of, uh, by all this stuff, but uh, but here we are. I, I'm angry it's not restreaming right now uh, on ESPN's website. Yeah, I heard you on, I think it was the Pointless Exercise podcast before this Game 6, the movie thing, uh, before it showed, and you guys were talking about, you were almost like uh, warning listeners to try and not get too excited for Game 6 of the NBA Finals back in 98. Um, because, you know, oh boy, was it a different time, a different game. This thing was ugly. And in my head, listening to that podcast, like, yeah, Kelly's right. Yeah, this is this is going to be gross. Like, I, you know, I've seen this game a couple of times. It, it's not that good. And I was, I forgot how entertaining the first half was, especially. It was, that was a sort of a high scoring first half, if, you know, if, if that's fair to say, um, for that, for that, you know, mid, late 90s basketball 
it, was there anything that shocked you in watching it, uh, you know, in whatever style, cinematic style we saw there on Wednesday night? I don't think anything shocked me is it just was a reaffirmation of why I do this and why I'm excited about this all this time later. It, 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 to be on the court as they want it and to have to, my, my eye level be a camera level and to take that in in a single bit of frame was was moving. It was it was something special. I'm very happy they did that. Uh, in terms of surprises, no, outside of just, uh, you know, the the inner the dialogue in between timeouts was fantastic but everything else was just they coming out to perform a play you've seen a billion times but you're on your feet at the end of it one thing that shocked me Kelly was uh you know we get the, we get the Pippin um his back's all buggered and everybody's pointing that out it goes on throughout the game we're going to talk about this he's back in the locker room he's is he going to play can he play can MJ carry this team I had forgotten uh you know Costa slips in a line about Pippen was on pace to win finals MVP through the first four games of the 98 finals. And I was, my, my eyebrows went way up. I was like, what? Hold, hold on. I don't remember that with Michael Jordan on your team. I looked it up. Pippen averaged 20 points per game, uh, seven boards, three and a half assists, shot 47% in the first four games of the finals. Was that, was, was that Bob Costas going a little too far? Was that a bit of a reach in trying to tell that, that narrative with that back after coming off the brutal Game 5 and then barely being able to play in Game 6? No, it was absolutely accurate. It may have been a narrative thing, like how you're going to give it to Michael. How you're not going to give it to Michael after those three games or whatever, mm-hmm. but it was Bob Costas was just prattling on what was absolutely being talked about in Chicago at the time, wow. 100%. Yeah, seriously. It was, it was, and we were cool with it. It was like, this guy just shut down Indiana, and now he's... You know they're 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 giving him a, a, a they're starting Adam Keith. I mean, come on, <laughs> they had eighty games to figure out this Adam. We saw it last night in the, the only basketball game we were allowed to watch last night. First and third quarters, Adam Keith. Check that plus minus. Can't be good. And uh, yeah, Scotty just did Scotty things. It was fantastic. You know, he got he didn't get to tear up the '97 finals because he messed up his foot in the series before that against Miami. So this was just him like. I'm going to be in Phoenix next year. I'm going to be making $67 million on a sign-and-trade. He had it all planned out. He didn't think about pinstripes at that point in his life. No, he was absolutely – it was going to be him as the MVP, and then he'd uh, you know get a, he'd go off to the play with the Suns or the Lakers or some other odd formation that wouldn't look right, and it turned out to be Houston. But, yeah, until his body – the typical NBA story, until his body blew up, uh, Scottie Pippen was, uh, was your guy. Yeah, I just looked it up. Adam Keefe, 14 minutes minus 11 in game six. It was pretty bad out there. It was also, uh, I thought, funny to hear. um, It's just funny to hear Costas doing NBA games again because he's so good, but he's also so knowledgeable about, like, every other sport that's out there. So, you know, Greg Foster throws yet another pass to absolutely no one, and Costas comes in and says, an unforced error to use tennis terminology. It's like, we know, man. We get it. Um, but I still love the, how much he's laying the groundwork for what's going to eventually happen come the fourth quarter. Uh, you guys are talking about it. You know, Scotty goes out of the game, and you're hearing Costas literally say things like, if anybody's going to be able to do it, it's him. But can he do it? It feels like a movie, and especially yeah. seeing it in that cinematic quality, like with Costas doing it, since he's a, a broadcaster who has been in so many movies, I just thought it was, I thought it was great. A great mix of... Uh, 
talent and and you know technology coming in 20 something years later it was he, he was very annoying but but he but all year he was annoying because marv was out for uh, reasons that kids can go look up but he was paired with isaiah thomas and isaiah was a rookie and it was just a monologue for every game and every game didn't need a monologue and yet he you know like uh, no let's not compare him to michael jordan he did a good job in game six and we uh, we had fun last night i forget i thought i was gonna be so sick of costas just last night and i wasn't yeah 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 that's funny that you said this too like right off the top like this idea of like okay do we got some fatigue setting in here with uh you know this whole last dance and the 98 bulls and then and the bulls in general and mj and this whole squad um because i was starting to reach that that sort of that peak i think like okay i'm done with this this has been a lot of fun especially with no basketball during the during the pandemic but I, again, I was I couldn't believe how shocked I was that I was riveted to the to my TV screen for you know two and a half hours. That's the other part that actually shocked me. I sort of thought this thing might be edited down, right? Like into an hour or something like that, um, and get rid of a, a lot of the illegal defenses being called or something <laughs> like that. And uh, instead, we got the whole game, which maybe again, I, I I hope it's coming across in my voice. I was pleasantly surprised by that. Thanks for showing us the whole thing because you need to see all this stuff. You you need to be reminded. Um, Michael Jordan actually steals the ball from Carl Malone in the post midway through the first quarter. I had totally forgotten that. Well, that'll come into play a little bit later on. I needed to be reminded that uh, some people like Isaiah Thomas call a basket a dunk shot. <laughs> Kelly, what do you think about calling it a dunk shot? I've, I can't stand that for some reason. It's better than Marv Albert calls it a stuff all the time. And it's like, what, wait, what is happening? I had to look away for a second and I don't know who just rejected whom with what terminology from the 40s, Marv. What did the cager do? That's true. Stuff can go both ways, and we're not even talking about the Orlando Magic mascot, which may also go both ways now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, and then like, and then also I was reminded like, and he had a brutal first six minutes of this game. Jeff Hornacek, he was horrible. He got it going as the game went on, but man, Costas keeps driving home the point of like just how important Jeff Hornacek was to the Jazz' success and their chances of coming back to uh, win this series. And I think he's right. Um, Hornacek, especially when you see some of the non-shooters out there on that Jazz squad, you know, along with the pick and roll of Stockton Malone, man, he was a he was a hell of an X factor for that team, and uh, did not have a good start to that game six. I mean, he's a six foot four son of Lion Township, had to play center in high school. That's where he learned all those tips he do. By the time the fourth quarter came along, he was he was right there with it. Uh, he had a little turnaround, some 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 sort of sub, uh, suburban Illinois nonsense in the corner there in the fourth quarter. He got it together. He got yeah, fourth quarter. Everyone had a rough fourth quarter. Who plays on a Sunday afternoon? <laughs> <That's a good laughs> The Raptors and the Lakers, that's it. That's it, that's it. And then once in a while, some finals games back in the 90s. Um, yeah, so if you haven't watched this, I mean, I highly recommend everybody go watch this Game 6 of the movie that they, they managed to put together. And look, we're getting this footage, and a big part of the reason why we had wanted to have you on wasn't just to sort of dissect this game and talk about talk about Kukoc complaining every time he uh, hit a jumper and always <laughs> said he got hit on the elbow. He did that every single time. Um, what did you think of the the last dance? I hope you're not exhausted of talking about it. I know you've been on a million podcasts and written about it. Um, were you a fan? I mean, look, I think most people listening to this know, like like Trey, you are a Bulls fan, grew up in the area. Um, you know, what did you think of the last dance overall? I thought it was fantastic. This stuff needs to be documented. And the thing I kind of 
did to uh, 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 it, it gets frustrating at times when they say it's a picture from 1997, but it's clearly from 1998 because Scott Burrell's in it. <laughs> There's gonna be another Bulls documentary down the line, and it's gonna have a lot more of everything. It's gonna have Ron Harper and how what he dealt with growing up. It's gonna have where the heck Bill Wennington came from. It's gonna have more about Steve Kerr. It's gonna have more about Pippen, more about Rodman, and how this turns out. So as a as an in between. As you know, as as something to watch at any time, let alone this time, it was a hundred percent knockout. I, I I absolutely loved watching it. I didn't get tired of it. I dreaded it some nights because I didn't. I was nervous about you know some stories being. I never want to get sick of this stuff. You got to save some of the great albums. You don't want to you know overplay <laughs> them. And and if anyone's come close to overplaying them, it's this guy. But it was. It was a scene, man. It was like we knew back then it was something special, that it wasn't just a big batch of basketball wins happening a bunch of years in a row, that this stuff was so stupidly dramatic and Hollywood that it was just like, how can you not pay attention to this stuff if you don't pay attention to basketball at all and just know Michael Jordan? And he walks into the room and he hits a layup and steals the ball from the guy wearing the other uniform and then hits another basketball shot. It's just so wonderfully wrapped up from beginning to end that, uh, yeah, it was the last dance was fun. It was it was a great time, and I hope it inspires kids to get on YouTube and uh See how poorly they played basketball at times in the nineties. <laughs> up yeah. until this game, this game six, uh, Trey inspired me to look it up. It's like 114 points for hundred possessions for the Bulls, 113 for the Utah. It was if it weren't for those 14 possessions in the entire contest, it would have been a real barn barner. But instead, we just see the 87-86 score and think it's it's something terrible. But uh, it wasn't terrible, Charles. It was a it was a barn barner. Yeah, did you have a favorite um, episode or moment, Kelly, from The Last Dance? Like, was there one particular story that you, you liked how they told, or was there something you learned? And I know, you, man, you know a lot of this stuff. What was your, I guess, what was your favorite part from the whole thing? I liked the, when Phil Jackson told the team not to be afraid to lose, that mm. these things happen. And I can recall that Game 7 preparing for it as a, fan this hadn't really happened before certainly not to these stakes and how just sort of it wasn't ambivalent but it was just I was kind of cool with it because I knew I had to steal myself for the idea that some free throws could go the wrong way and the Bulls were could really go on some nasty streaks offensively and that just the 48 minutes of basketball could go the wrong way and all it would mean is that 48 minutes of basketball went the wrong way and I mean that cuts kind of shaped how I've looked at the game for a while after that and to have it 22 years later have Phil go yeah I told him kind of the same thing you were thinking uh you know that that was reassuring I, I dug that quite a bit uh I learned that the Utah Jazz played Beach Boys songs during fourth quarter timeouts of NBA Finals games <laughs> Uh, I can't imagine. I was a like, point what's more it. on brand than that? Only John Stockton showing up to a game in a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> With the four Where's, or five kids pouring out of Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, Whereas Bill Wennington has a full. Glavel GMC beefy van with there's no mini in his setup. There are TVs, there is there's a step down situation, there's a folding couch. Wennington knew how to do it. I just that's what we're waiting for is this this years in the making Bill Wennington handicap 
documentary that's <laughs> yeah. coming out. Because I know for a fact he has footage from 96. I know for a fact he may have been overserved on the championship night, that that footage may have gotten into some trouble. I don't know. But there could be three years worth of beautiful Bill Weddington stuff we've got to look forward to. So, uh, you know, stay tuned uh, to ESPN plus minus 42, uh, 97 in the year 2042. It was, uh, I hope we get the Bill Wennington tapes. I agree with you. He says we're never going to see them. I think he said that, but you know he'll come around for sure. Was there was there anything you were shocked to see not included in the doc, Kelly? Or like, was there someone that, you know, they didn't interview that you were surprised didn't make it? Uh, they're just the shock. How, how do you leave out? Don't tell. Don't. No mail go. Well, I can't remember exactly what Scotty said, but it was something about a postal delivery service on Sunday. See, it's been a while since I've actually heard it because this documentary didn't put in the greatest trash talk line in the history of trash talk that's yeah, ever been that trash talk. Yeah, it was that, insane. Well, it was insane to not include it. And then we see in Game 6, the movie, and uh, you know, the following year, fans are showing up with signs that say, the mailman does deliver on Sundays. Yeah. Well, I got bad news for you, lady. The rules are the same, no matter what state you're in. Uh, but yeah, to skip over that, and I thought they also gave um, kind of short shrift to the Knicks series from '92. I would have, uh, I would have been happy seeing uh, them do that Knicks series the same way they did that Pacers series from '98. That Knicks series was horrifying. That Knicks series was far more horrifying than the '98 one. I, I could just the '93 one where where the Knicks had home court advantage was somehow less like who are these Knicks and it's wow this could actually happen. It was absolutely horrifying. Whereas the Pacers, you knew what you were getting. Eric McKee off the bench. Come on, we've, we've seen this all decade long. <laughs> what do you make of these um, reports that are coming out now after the last dance is concluded from guys like Pippen or Horace Grant, like not being happy with how they were portrayed in this documentary? Um, especially the Pippen angle, which is fascinating. I guess he's like, quote, angry and beyond livid at at Jordan and the, and the filmmakers of how he came across in the dock. I was a little bit shocked to see that. Um, but what, what's your take on, on Pippen? I guess reacting to this, you know, these are the reports at least. I, I don't know anyone right now who's <clears throat> walking away from, from listening to Scotty Pippen in the documentary and not thinking that guy's the coolest cat in the history of cool yeah. cats. So uh, he came off, he was like, he explained how he robbed the bank. He talked about how he calmed down the teller. He said where he hid the money. He did, drew a map to where he, d and he was just so cool about it. We're like, yeah, okay. Okay, gonna do it again if it ever happens. Okay, okay, no, that's fine, dude. No. Surgery in October. Okay, yeah, totally, dude. He gave his heart and soul to Chicago, and I, I, to me, that came across in the documentary. Uh, what I hope is that Horace Grant and Craig Hodges and Scottie Pippen all go out and fund their own independent documentaries, which will be a varying quality. Formats will be different. It's also we have all this marvelous footage for again this documentary that's going to be rolling down the pike done by. Jerry and Grant Jr. in 2042. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you. I, I was actually, I'm shocked to sort of see these reports again from Pippen that he's not happy. I guess the what we're being told is some of these guys on that team were being pitched the idea that this was a 97-98 Bulls documentary and then uh, watch it and find out, wait, it's not really about that. This is about Michael Jordan, um, which I'm not sure how you wouldn't have known, but I guess maybe that's... That's what they were told. Trey, do you agree with Kelly? Like, do you think Pippen was to looked totally cool and fine in this doc, and it's a little shocking he's upset? Yeah, I thought Pippen was great in the documentary. I thought he came off as a cool guy. You know, his line, 
I wasn't going to fuck up my summer was one of the hit lines of the series early on. But, you know, I can see where he's coming from, where if he assumes this is going to be just a documentary on the last run with the Bulls and, you know, the worst stuff that's going to be about Scottie Pippen is that he wanted to be traded yeah. or, you know, that he waited on his surgery, then that's fine. But maybe it's a little bit different if you sit down thinking it's about that and then you hear all of the lowlights in your career and you're not necessarily hearing all of the lowlights of Michael Jordan's career. That could sting a little bit, but... No offense, there were a lot more lowlights for Scottie Pippen than there were for Michael Jordan in the 90s. That's just how it was when you're the number two guy. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Uh, Hold on, Skeets, I haven't, I haven't caught up on these reports. Did you say there were reports of Scottie Pippen, Pippen being unhappy? This is just, <laughs> what, what year could this possibly be? Yeah, yeah, that's it's true. It's his I nature, he's, just... he's going to do it. And, you know, again, it, the biggest disappointment should be that we didn't get to see more 97, 98 stuff. The fact that they had 82 games of footage, apparently. These guys are like, what did we have these guys all up in our business for for yeah. eight months? So I can kind of get that. Yeah, that's fair. And look, I mean, uh, look, with something this big, everybody's going to nitpick it and all that. I mean, we've done it. I know Lee was going crazy pointing out particular shots made that they would show us uh, that were out of order. Hey, that's not in order. That came in a a different game earlier. And Trey pointing out this whole Jordan wearing his shorts backwards was actually maybe not what happened, right? Like he didn't put them on backwards. It was, uh, you know, know, the the company that made the shorts screwed up and put the logo in the wrong spot. Was there anything... they completely made up stories. They they yeah. absolutely they they have an a, a, a anecdote where the Bulls are walking out of a practice on a Sunday Indianapolis day where street Indianapolis street signs are visible. Then they go outside. Jordan honks the the horn on the bus a bunch of time. It's all great. It's all fun. That can be one shot. But then they decide no. Let's bleed this with a shot of them playing golf in Orlando two months before that. <laughs> right. I mean, right, I'm right. glad that's in there. I'm glad we got to see Ron Harper go this buzz for you. I'm so happy all this exists. I just, I don't think I'm being cynical. To, to, they're talking down to us when they just, you know, it's okay. It's okay to let it, not worse and all, just it doesn't have to be a Bafo story. The idea of Michael Jordan does its own talking. All we just need is a little sideline stuff. We did the, the less production, the less direction, the less conniving, the better. There was a lot of conniving in this thing. Were you around these teams, Kelly, at all? Or is this this a little bit before even your time? I know you were you were I guess you were started writing on the internet around ninety seven, ninety eight, right? But you no, were... but in I wasn't at these games, but in on Sports Channel, uh, which we luckily got, I moved to Indianapolis or in Indiana for the for the third three peat. I was in the suburbs for the first three peat. Mm. And uh, they Sports Channel showed the live in the locker room after every game. So we got podium stuff after <laughs> every lo- every game. You got to see Dennis Rodman would only be interviewed on the way out because his people wanted uh, like these MTV style jump cuts and weird angles. And what's the best way to get that is to make a big cameraman move around his giant 1990s camera while this guy busts out of the place. But we saw every podium thing in the playoffs was documented. Every after the game thing was documented. It was just it was a big deal. We knew it then. Uh, so yeah, for, for someone who wasn't able to, I was writing about it the last year online, but for someone who didn't have media access, we got media access. If you, if you wanted to, it was that sports channel did a remarkable job because they knew they had, uh, you know, some business on their hands and they were about to sell the Fox in a year. And, uh, that Michael Jordan was only going to do this for so long. We, we'd had this taken away from us before the knowledge that every other night it seemed was this big giant deal because the game against the hawks was a big giant deal 
So, uh, you know, we treated it with the respect that it deserved. What in the documentary really stuck out to you of, of being in that moment, of being, you know, a kid growing up watching the Bulls in the suburbs? Because two that really stuck out to me was when Jordan is sitting in traffic on 90-94 and it's raining and he's just <laughs> complaining about his job. And number two, that B.J. Armstrong and Michael Jordan apparently hatched the plan to come back to the NBA at a Baker's Square. I was like, there's no better place to talk business than a Baker's Square. I don't know how you eat breakfast in a Baker's Square because it just makes you want to eat pie for breakfast. It's just like I get that they have an all-day menu. What stood out to me, it's there. There, frankly, there weren't a lot of surprises. So I'll, I got to be honest. There, the, the in-between stuff that we saw last night, that was in the documentary too. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of shared uh, video that stuck out to me. So just the in-between stuff. Mm-hmm. Dennis coming, Robin coming back to practice, and and Phil Jackson talking about the time he may or may not have tried to get the entire team to get these uh, foam Nerf uh, <clears throat> toys to bash them on the head with some sort of symbolic mm. release. The, uh, just the little basketball bits in between. Scotty Pippen, uh, as, as brought up in the Pointless Exercise podcast, Scotty Pippen with his back reconstructed on the fly thanks to the fists and elbows of the Chicago Bulls training staff offering to take a charge from Carl Malone on the last play of the game. Like This guy is, hasn't been a Chicago Bull for the 98-98-9 season since like five years before that. He's made his mind up that July 1st, 1998, it's going to be all over. And here our man is on you know June 16th or whatever. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll slip another disc. Yeah, just just lay that knee into me. The the knee that destroyed Daniel Marshall's life, the the the, the elbows that risked David Robinson's career. Yeah, throw that at me. It's a great team. I'm 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 just I'm happy it's out there is the thing because yeah, I've spent my sure. entire life trying to get it out there in bits and pieces, and it's not like watching your favorite band play, uh, you know, ten nights in a row at the United Center. It's not. Well, it's not. I don't feel weird or off that this is out there because this stuff is meant to be shared it's meant to be watched it's meant to uh inspire people and uh, i'm glad it's back again yeah i think there's something to that where you could have gotten all this information but you would have to read several books which if you're a big bulls fan you probably have and you probably do know a lot of these stories but having them all in that one place i think is just huge as a as a historical document i mean you're not going to be able to get the uh the flavor of, you know, Scotty coming back. And you're amazed that he's coming back, but it's a little bit different to see Phil Jackson, a guy with championships, in the huddle. Scotty walks up there like he's a pregnant lady holding his back. <laughs> and even Phil's like, you can start? Really? All right, Dennis, back to the bunch, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, you know, and that's why I think it's a little surprising that Pippen would be upset with how he's portrayed because, I mean, you just got to watch game six to see how much he's given to the Bulls, even in what's going to be his last game, essentially, in their uniform just unending drama just is that how basketball works that's that's what happens he, he i mean i i thought there was things he had to sign and papers and several rows of coaches he had to explain himself to but no it's got Pippen walking right up to the huddle going hey i'm here it's it's incredible it's it's a reaffirm it's an affirmation of just how simple this game is that at the end of it it's two and a half hours that these guys get 12 minutes at a time to perform and they got to hit these weird notes. And, and uh, it's cool that we're still talking about this two and a half hours from Sunday, 22 years later. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, what do you think was the best Bulls team of all time? Kelly? I, I, I've thought about this a lot. And for years, my go-to was just like, you know, pick a random night in 91, 92, mm. somewhere in the middle there, it, you know, 
I I really, really think it's you pick a random night in like December, January of 95, 96, and I don't I I get that the line is three points and it's different now, but I just that team would be so good against just any other batch in NBA history. Respect Bison Dele, respect Horace, Horace Grant, respect... Uh, but just that stretch before Scotty's body just fell apart about two-thirds of the way in the 95-96 season, he had to start taking random 12-6 games off before Dennis headbutted Ted Bernhardt, Lafayette, Indiana. <laughs> before all this happened, there was just a stretch of craziness where it was... And that must have been the three-month quote from Chuck Bushler. That must have been right at about that time where it was like, yeah, there's really, we understand that the team's going to lose at some point, but when it happens, it's going to be some bull because there's no reason for this team to lose. <laughs> right, right. Looking at you, Denver. <laughs> the the follow-up question to that is, which team that the Bulls saw in the finals do you think was um, the best and, uh, you know, the closest, I guess, in your opinion, to taking down that Bulls dynasty? I, I was worried the most about the Jazz by a lot because mm. after game one in 98, it was just anyone, any NBA guy that wasn't picking the Jazz back then was being silly because the Bulls looked tired. Mm. Uh, I didn't do that. I was not in the business of picking even then. Mm. But it was after game one hit and Stockton just destroyed Kerr over and over and over again. It was It was tough. Uh, in, I would have probably said then and now that the real answer would be the Sonics with a better coach. Uh, because it's Sean Kemp has gotten his day in the years since. Everyone's talked about how fabulous he was. Not worried about him because Sean Kemp was going to foul himself out by running people over at some point. Uh, Peyton was insane. Peyton was so good. And Peyton played like a mini Jordan. It wasn't like he has to get hot from three. It was just rollers and quick post-ups and 6-4 stuff and, and using his right hand on the left side when he shouldn't have. Peyton was scary as heck, and I don't even mean defensively. And had that been, you know, had that been rerouted, had they not gone with the gimmick of using Frank Burkowski and taken his very good 64-win team out of a complete and utter rhythm that it was in, uh, George Carl is a great motivator and at times a great coach, and I think he uh, dropped the ball in that series. So uh, you think Utah it's more of a dropping the ball on the offensive side, though, rather than the defensive side? Because I mean, obviously Peyton is claiming, it, you know, during the '96 Finals, I didn't guard Jordan till Game Four. Then look what happened. You, do you buy it if he would have been on Jordan? From yeah, I don't the th- start I'd- that uh, they're more competitive. I don't think that Gary Payton, I know they went to seven games in Utah, like I get that, but I don't think Gary Payton is going to tire out taking the Bulls to seven games, playing, taking all the shots on one end and just sweating all over Michael Jordan on the other end. Michael Jordan started working out in May, and now it's June the next year. It's 13 months later at this point since since Horace and Shaq made him angry and sent him to the weight room the next day. Like, he didn't let up, and now it's 13 months later, and he's got to deal with GP. Get right out of town, fellas. Yeah, it's a. I love this debate. Uh, that is it, the Sonics or is it the Jazz? I mean, again, watching that Game Six, the movie there on Wednesday night, it, it's tough not to scratch your head at a lot of some, of, a lot of the decisions Jerry Sloan is making. I think in that game too, and and that, that, that's Jerry Sloan's mo. I know there's some people like, oh, he's so regimented, and like, why is this guy like? Keith's getting those minutes, and this guy's getting those minutes. That's the way. That's Jerry Sloan, right? I mean, wasn't that was his whole coaching mo was? He didn't even have to look at the guys on the bench to say get up and go in. It was like, 
this is when it happens. These are our lineups at this particular time. It's fair to now when, you know, losing the series, I think you can go, man, um, maybe one, maybe you should have tried switching it up that. a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Especially, that stuck out to me so much in this game six. I was like, what are you doing, Jerry Sloan? Like, come on, man. Like, you're down a game in this series. Try it. Get a little creative, you know? Undo your tie a little bit. Um, <laughs> but not Jerry Sloan. Yeah, so it's it's funny to hear the the... The, how George Carl definitely didn't maybe help his team in that finals against the Bulls. And I think the same could be said for Jerry Sloan, too. Sloan wasn't averse to that, too. Uh, Antoine Carr barely played in a really close game four in 98. Then he, then he uh, went from, like, nothing to 20-plus minutes the next game. So it wasn't like he... True. I think he maybe tried it with Chris Morris, but, you know, a lot of people have tried things with Chris Morris. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that's the that's the big question is, yeah, there are other things that I feel like Sloan could have done, you know, but it's also funny to hear Bob Costas being amazed. He's like, the Jazz have gotten nothing from Ostertag and Foster this series. <laughs> like, what are you expecting? The key to me had to be there were not enough pick and rolls. Jerry Sloan, run some more pick and rolls. That's what Stockton and Malone are famous for. Like, Stockton was on fire in the fourth quarter, you know, but he ends up with taking 10 shots for the game. They should have let him do more, and I feel like if it's 2020, you're seeing that pick and roll every single time because Malone had it going, Stockton eventually got it going, and it just seems like sometimes the opponents of the Bulls think themselves out of the game because they're trying to do anything they possibly can to get a win against Jordan and the Bulls. I would encourage your uh, listeners uh, to uh, pay $4.99 and uh, pick up that ESPN Plus if they're into this stuff and watch that ESPN detail stuff on the Phil Jackson's got a couple. Dennis Rodman has one that will put a lump in your throat. It's so beautiful. Steve Kerr's got a hilarious one. But uh, Jackson and Kerr just both mentioned that, like, these are the Jazz, it's the Red Mother, it's the pick and roll. Of course, it's nothing like how much they run it today. It's, it's like, yeah, that was like, you know, when someone was known for some, you know, they ran two pick and rolls a game, and that's that's Jimmy pick and roll over there. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of these games, it's hard to watch games like this, whether it's on tape or whether it's the beautiful movie we saw last night, and not go, this team could have had it. But so many of these teams could have had it. All those Indianapolis Game 7s could have had it. All the Knicks teams could have had it. Whatever it was that Jordan did, it was always at arm's length, and uh, I don't know how it happened, but I'm just glad I was around for it. You do an unbelievable job of, uh, and you've done it here on this podcast, as uh, people have noticed, I'm sure, of slipping in like little musical references, uh, either talking to us or a lot of the times uh, at the second arrangement. You did it back all the time in, in your writing days at Yahoo. So we got to know, are you uh, a big Kenny Lattimore guy? <laughs> I couldn't believe the, I, I, no, no, I mean, I like, no, no, I'm not. 90s, 90s production gets away from me. And I know who Kenny Lattimore is, and I know that song that, that took off after it. I was happy that I recognized it. Oh. And I, I, and I listened, no, if you're going to pick, listen, the, no, I, I did, I did enjoy the Pearl Jam song. I did get upset oh. that they put, I did get upset that they put Rosa Parks in there for a game. In April, when Rosa Parks didn't come out till like October, and everyone that was a hundred percent Oklahoma and I was hundred percent the the album of that fall, that winter, and you're trying to shove it down our throats the spring before. Get out of there! Get out of there with that. You can find some other time. Throw in a bit about the lockout. Make it the theme for the entire 
documentary. I don't care. No, Kenny Latimer. That was a surprise. I was I was in my head. I was thinking R. Kelly. I was hoping I didn't. You know, they showed if it was R. Kelly. Oh, yeah. uh, I was thinking it was going to be some Jeffrey Osborne, but that's a little too old at that point. It was going to be something smooth, and it was. Uh, <laughs> did you? Nineties um, R and B. Yeah. Did you like the the Last Dance? You know, soundtrack overall though. I mean, that seemed. Oh yeah. Uh, fa- they did a fun it, song. Yeah. They did a great job. It, they, it's you know. 90s is the worst era of music. I, I'm sorry, I can't get away from it. Oh. However, well, no, 80s is pretty bad too. Also, the 2000s are pretty rough. Listen, <laughs> there's, a, there's a good chunk between like 74 and 82 that people should listen to. And also like 40, after the war, the bebop. It was great, it was great. It, 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 the Pearl Jam song is like the only Pearl Jam song that would have gotten me. That is my, genuinely my favorite Pearl Jam song. I, oh, I wow. got. I'm not a big Pearl Jam guy. Uh, you know, back, you didn't have, having 10 was like having Boston's first album. You didn't have to do that. It was just everywhere you knew every song. Uh, you know, so I thought I was past Pearl Jam at the time that No Exit came out. Uh, my dad bought it for me. I didn't know where I came from from school. He's like, Pearl Jam had an album came out today and I bought it for you. I'm like, okay, this is, these are feelings. Uh, but I, I was surprised. It was like a Led Zeppelin three for them. It was just this kind of airy, spacey, <laughs> and a really good humbucker tone on, on present tense. That's what I've always liked from them. Uh, and uh, when they promoted that album, they also appeared on David Letterman. And David Letterman had a gimmick that night where he would turn the camera upside down. And uh, that, that's uh, you know, that's how that's how TV was in the nineties. It was <laughs> still figuring what you could do out do in standard death. I'm I'm happy for this game six thing because my tape of that has a thunderstorm warning bar across the entire game the entire time. Oh really? It was, it was yeah. storming in '98, was it? <laughs> I didn't know who Jordan who hit the game winning shot until I had to read the newspaper the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I thought a rain cloud hit the game six winning shot <laughs> up until the next day. I keep thinking how crazy it must be for Eddie Vedder. Like, if you were to tell him back in 1991, eventually one of the songs you wrote is going to close out a documentary 20 years later on the greatest Bulls team of all time. What would Eddie Vedder have said back then? Because, I mean, you know, he was close with Rodman uh, during the second three-peat. I know uh, Billy Corgan was a big uh, Bulls guy, but also back in the day, you know, Pearl Jam was very much fighting the establishment, and there's not many things that are more establishment now than Michael Jordan. It's a cool, you know, Eddie Vedder was wearing Air Jordans when he was a gas station attendant. So seriously, think how much that put him back to do that in his, uh, uh, you know, pre-stardom uh, days. That No, it was it was very cool. I guess Eddie minded him in the 96 finals. Speaking of Rodman, Billy Corgan watched him in the 97 finals because Billy Corgan was also friends with Bison Dele. And I think Vedder was back for the 90. This is the extent of my alt-rock 90s knowledge. <laughs> I don't know when the Afghan wakes came in. Uh, but yeah, it's like they genuinely like traded off finals, kind of keeping Rodman in check and making sure he got to bed before 9 a.m. <laughs> All right, we got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Guys, I was on the blacktux.com this morning, just browsing, you know, checking out the latest trends in men's formal wear. I clicked on complete outfits section and I noticed they organize each of their looks into vibes. You got your classic, you got your romantic, bold, and beachy. Beachy! 
I wish the black tux was around when I got married. As I've mentioned before, back in 2002, I bought my tux like an idiot. We got married on a beach in Mexico and I sweat through the damn thing. I am soaking wet in our wedding pictures. I look like I just walked fully clothed out of the ocean and got married on a beautiful Oaxaca beach at sunset. Like a merman. Exactly. With the black tux, I could have gotten a lighter color, tan, gray, or even light blue. I would have literally been cooler. Oh, well. Next wedding. And the Black Tux has easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com, request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. We are living in the future. Enjoy it, people. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com. And enjoy 10% off with the code DUNKS. D-U-N-K-S. That's theblacktux.com. Code DUNKS for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux. Formal wear for the moment. Did you know that people on average have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities? That's basically a month. Heck, that was a month. February 2020. Leap year. Never forget. And if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction... You want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that could connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com slash no dunks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash no dunks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. We can we can pivot a little bit from the last dance now if we want because I want to get your take on the likelihood of the NBA season returning. And I guess my first question is: Have you missed it, or has this last dance uh, airing filled that that hole in your basketball heart? Uh, where are you at right now with both missing basketball because we're like what at two months at this point, and then the idea of this thing coming back, be it in Orlando or also Las Vegas? It, it's very strange. I don't. I thought of this right away because you have no choice but to just sit around and think about everything. I This is the first spring I can remember in my life that I wasn't paying obscene attention to the playoffs. This, huh. I, rem, I don't remember the spring of 87. I remember the spring of 88 and a whole lot of that Pistons Bowl series and Cavs series uh, and just being obsessed with it. And it's continued unabated until now. Even the lockouts had, had spring. Uh I have, I've missed it, but it hasn't been an issue because it's been good to uh, function like a human being through a little bit of this. <laughs> and, you know, 40 games and 40 nights was a bit much. Uh, and it's, you know, it's allowed me to catch up on things and learn about all of Caesar's conquests and uh, the, all of the fall of the Empire. I'm working my way back to the start of the Empire. I don't know if I want to learn about it now that I know how it all ended. I'm not exactly rooting for these guys. It's been fun to catch up on stuff. I'm going to get some books in. But these are performers. And I 
I don't worry about the spark returning, but I, I do feel bad that a chunk of these men and women's lives, these players and coaches, uh, are sidelined right now. These This is what they want to do with their lives. And uh, among all the other many things happening right now, that is a drag. Myself personally, you know, YouTube is a lot of fun, and you can just type in May 1997 and you got a basketball game to fall asleep to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it hasn't been all Julius Caesar. It's been a little bit of Julius Irving as well. I would imagine you're oh. filling your time sometimes with some old games. Oh, 100% all old games. Just there's it's, and that old baseball games, old basketball games are so much fun because they just always play a center. It doesn't matter how he got to the arena. It doesn't matter if he went to a college that was known for basketball or hotel maintenance I, it's just no matter what there's always a glenn in there and he's seven <laughs> foot two and there's just no there's no reason for it but we're all here for inexplicably we're here for 82 games and yet another nba season and it's on youtube it's just i it's yes there's certainly enough content to go around as you mentioned these books that especially the ones that don't have indexes that you can't cheat go mm-hmm. and read halberstam it's all in there it's a better last dance truly halberstam's Book will leave your jaw on the floor with just the audacity of that era the, the bulls to do bull stuff you're somewhat missing basketball but how are you doing with no baseball because you are a big big baseball guy and uh you know we'd obviously we would obviously have the season in full swing right now pun intended uh sweet crack of the bat smell of the grass um <laughs> how you how you holding up with no baseball kelly uh don't ask until august because i'm really good like uh, I'm not going to tell everyone my team because it'll embarrass me, but I don't even know what is happening until after the draft. Like I, oh, I okay. don't even watch. Not out of a, not out of a uh, education, not out of a professional thing. It's just I have got there's so much basketball up until the end of the basketball that it's just I will look at the standings and then once the NBA season ends, it's I know everything that's happening in AAA, AA. How many pitches that guy's thrown that day? It's it's right into Dorfman then, but right now it's unabated. No, I'm fine. Again, just pull up a. I, I've learned that Tony Kubek is an amazing, amazing. Speaking of Bob Costas, his partner on all these game of the week from the '80s, he's so good. I looked him up. He leaned left. It turned out. Let's go check out his Wikipedia. He's a modern guy from the '80s, talking in the '80s, throwing on base percentage. He's pronouncing Azikian. Uh, I can't pronounce it the proper way, but he's pronouncing it the proper Venezuelan way as Ozzy. Tony Kubek, if you're missing baseball, go look this gentleman up. Wow. K-U-B-E-K. K-U-B-E-K. So he was, he was on the, like, these are national broadcast games or he's is this a, just he's local? He's an old Yankee doing NBC Game of the Weeks with Bob Costas. So you ah. get to hear Bob Costas just basically treating each broadcast like it's it's time to talk baseball. And remember in 1948 when this thing happened and Tony Kubek has to break in and go, uh, and it takes 2-1 pitch to right field. It's, it's incredible how Costas is just, I love the guy, but just give it a break with the Mel Ott for a second and tell me if he's going to pick this guy, if he's even got a pickoff move to be I'm getting upset about a Tigers-White Sox game from 1985. So clearly, I'm doing fine. Yeah, you're holding up. How is how is the um, the Substack life, the NBA newsletter? You've been doing it for a couple of years now. How is that going? It's going wonderfully. I, I I encourage anyone who just wants to think about writing and writing only or podcasting, as it turns out, uh, yeah. to do that. It's it's I just get to write about whatever the heck I want and and. Uh, 
people so far are dipping their toe in and, and enjoying it. And the last dance, I was going to do, I have been doing, we're getting back to doing each of the Jordan's return games in 95, just to okay. kind of familiarize ourselves with the era, because I'm learning new things myself, because I was not paying much attention to basketball in 94, 95, until he came back. So we're finding weird, stupid anecdotes of whoopty damn do and Derek Coleman and all that. So <laughs> we've got that going on. And the last dance interrupted that to talk about more 90s stuff. At some point, I promise I'll write a column where I'll go, I don't know if basketball's coming back soon. I don't know, but I don't know. We'll see when it happens. But <laughs> right now it's a trip. It's a nostalgia trip and, and a nostalgia trip alone, and I'm okay with that because, as Abby Hoffman said, nostalgia is a mild form of depression, and it's okay to feel these things sometimes. Mm, well said, for sure. Um, to marry the two together here, talking a little basketball, talking a little baseball, do you think... Michael Jordan could have made the major leagues in baseball. What do you think? I think he would have been promoted to the minor leagues because okay. Jerry Reinsdorf was his boss. Would he have been major league caliber? I believe so. I mean, that's quite, it's, again, work ethic, work ethic. I don't know. I didn't watch much baseball in 1997. Was it any good? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say Michael Jordan could, again, it's, it's, I guess you get this like last gasp as an athlete to reformat those muscles and learn a new skill. And maybe he had that arc going for him. Uh, it's, it's, I don't, what part, he played well in the winter leagues, but they didn't ever say anything about him hitting off speed pitches. Do you ever learn that? Does it ever matter? Because Jerry Ryan serves your boss and you're going to make the team at some point. Right, Do I think right, he could have right. been major league level? Yes, I think he could have got him a you know, 400, 500 OPS at the major league level and been fine. I'm not going to get in the business of doubting Michael Jordan because as soon as I take these earbuds out, he's going to be at my front door wanting to go to a meeting. <laughs> and I'm going to have to explain to him that they're all closed right now. Man, we can just go to a field or something, but I don't even – I haven't thrown a ball in years. Did you, I was going to say, did you play baseball? I played baseball until they told me to go away, sure. <laughs> when was I that? Had a, I went out, uh, so 14. Yeah, okay. I, had a, I had a huge highlight in eighth grade where I took uh, Austin. So I had a three-run triple off Austin Smith using my Walt Herniak. Go to the other uh, open stance, <laughs> Charlie Lau, Chicago White Sox style, and a three-run triple off of them. And, uh, you know, because there's a bunch of 14-year-olds playing ba- baseball, of course I ended up stealing home because some sort of something happened. Something exploded on a wild pitch. So I had a baseball highlight, and, uh, you know, I went out like Jordan up until uh, my Washington <laughs> Wizards come back in uh, 1998 when uh, right before I got contact lenses, I decided to take, a, take in an intramural softball game in front of a bunch of girls, a whole lot of girls. Uh-oh. And, uh, oh, oh, Whiff City. Whiff City. I went I right to the uh, right to the eye doctor after that. <laughs> so, wow. So, so you were up there. You're you're swigging blind. Is that what you're saying? Swig. Well, you know, it's I. Come on. I could have done better. I could have shortened the grip. I could have gone to the opposite field. I could have tried not to be a hero. We got all freshman year to explain ourselves to these young women. We don't let them need to let the the, the pole do our talking. We got to let our entire five star game do the talking. Oh, <laughs> uh, so you're yeah, you're a real uh, you're a real Rob Deer out there. You were just swinging for the fences. Yeah, so that particular day. Yeah, total Linkavili job. <laughs> I imagine you had the beautiful Walt Herniak high finish though. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that's a signature oh. of the '90s White Sox. It's very dramatic. It's ex- it's obscenely dramatic for such a in- completely ineffective baseball player. <laughs> 
And yet a surprisingly potent softball player in my one game playing it recently as an adult. I also went out on a on a, on a high note with that. I dove for a fly ball and, and possibly cracked a rib. I don't know. Never got it checked out. Uh, but impressed all the boys, so no girls with this one. Wow. At this point in your life, it's about impressing the boys. Right, right. That's true. That's true. So how long ago was that game? That was uh, 2017. Uh, okay. Up in the fields of the, the wilds of, of, of Detroit, right outside the stadium, on some cold ground. Cold ground. Al Oliver will be proud. I really hope Al Oliver is a is a tiger. <laughs> so <laughs> we are now reaching the the part of the podcast where some of the references you guys are making are going completely over my head. Um, but Kelly, this has been honestly a blast uh, catching up with you here, and I'm so happy we had you on to talk about Game 6, the movie, to talk about The Last Dance, to talk about your baseball career more than anything. And I'm so happy to hear that it's going great at the second arrangement. Highly encourage everybody to go and you know get a little flavor, get a little taste of that second arrangement, what Kelly's writing there, the podcast that Kelly's doing. He's He's got those tasty little guitar riffs and... You know, That's exactly what I'm talking about. TSA.substack.com. That's the easiest way to get to uh, Kelly's site, The Second Arrangement. Give it a go and uh, sign up if you're loving what you're reading and loving what you're hearing. How could you not be loving hearing that? I mean, was, that just comes off. That's so natural to you, Kelly. Was, was that was a that, humbucker? It, yeah. That's just the middle position. That's my least favorite position. Here's the humbucker. Are you? Humbucker's real fuzzy. Are you Very playing? Uh, are you playing anywhere right now? Are you playing with a band? I, I have not played a, with a band since uh, 2003, oh. uh, and really that was just myself and some friends getting together, jamming poorly for 40 minutes, and then going down to a bar to talk about how great we were going to be. At the <laughs> <band>. <laughs> Speaking of bars, what was the name of that? Uh, I think it was a jazz bar, right? That we went to in Chicago. Oh, Green time. Mill. Oh, yeah, Green, Green Mill, Mill yeah. Tavern. Yeah. That's iconic, isn't it? It's iconic. There's a, a Light of Day featuring Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett was filmed there. Some Joan, John Cusack movies were filmed there, but it's best known for being the, the Al Capone bar, where Al Capone would keep a seat that you, out of your, your right side you could see one exit, and out of your front side you could see the whole exit. And the back of it, you, uh, you had the band playing, so you really didn't miss anything orally. That's oral with an A. And uh, it was really the best seat in the house, but it was also, you know, if you're going to get shot, the best seat in the house. So it's a, just a great, beautiful jazz bar that I encourage everyone to go to and uh, tip really nicely and listen to some kick-butt music after hours. But correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Hot dogs is no longer in existence, right? The, the, the unbelievable gourmet hot dog place. Is that place closed? Yes. He, uh, he was like, I'm I've, I've, I've very popular, and I'm just going to stop this now. And he just, again, he liked Jordan. My man went out on top. Dunk zone is no longer. He seriously did. They, they lined up. Uh, like his last day was a Friday, and the people that ate on that Friday lined up on Monday. So oh that was – that. Oh. That was the one of the biggest misconnections of my entire life because with the, one of the times, or maybe the time I went to hot dogs, you guys remember Mark Marin was in the line with us. Yeah. And it was one of the first couple of months he started his podcast, and I knew that, but I'd never heard it before. And I could have, any of us could have gone, hey, giants in this industry, this is Skeets and Tass. And eventually Trey, giants in another industry. Please meet each other and keep each other in mind. 
But nah, we just thought we had sausage on our minds. What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, they'll make a ten part documentary about that line eventually, and it'll be it'll be fine. You know, people will be like, I wish we could have had a little bit more of that guy standing three people back. I actually it turns have... out Lana Del Rey was in that line. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I actually have final say on that documentary, uh, so we won't see that until 22 years in the future. Uh, Kelly, again, thank you so much, man, for coming on. The second arrangement, guys, tsa.substack.com, and you can follow Kelly at Katie on Hoops on Twitter. Um, a hilarious follow, especially just, I mean, forget the basketball takes, just for the sweet guitar licks. Maybe you could take us out with one, Katie? Let me try. Let me go to the neck pick up a little softer. Embrace the day, people.